This is an Odyssey original. This is the War in Ukraine Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. And I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Digging in for the long haul, that's how the U.S. Director of National Intelligence characterized Vladimir Putin's strategy with the invasion of Ukraine in the third month. The DNI, Avril Haines' testimony before a Senate committee describing Russia's efforts in eastern Ukraine as slow-moving, a slog. It's the intelligence assessment that Putin is hoping the attention of NATO and the West will wane over time. So what's the latest from the Donbass region, where the majority of fighting is happening? Mariupol still not totally under Russian control. The war turning into a stalemate? We'll ask about that. We'll also check in with one of the millions of Ukrainian families forced to pick up and move to avoid the Russian troops, refugees in their own country. But we start with an update on the fighting and what the American intelligence community believes are Vladimir Putin's goals to create a land bridge stretching from Russian-controlled Crimea all the way to the Ukrainian city of Odessa. And that may very well be what Putin wants, but can his beat-up military actually achieve that? Joining us from London is CBS News reporter Felix Light, who was reporting from Moscow until just after the war broke out. Felix, the expectations are that as Russia's military capability continues to be degraded by the Ukrainians, they don't actually have the ability to hold much Ukrainian territory. And so Putin might get more unpredictable in the weeks ahead. Yeah, sure. I think that's a fairly sort of uh, accurate interpretation. You know, what we've seen sort of since the start of this war is really sort of, you know, as the Russian army has run into harder and harder sort of obstacles in terms of, you know, field, uh, you know, actually fighting and prosecuting this war, uh, we've seen sort of Putin getting deeper sort of into his ideological rut. You know, we've seen him, if anything, just constantly demonstrate more, you know, strong commitment to, to, to this task. You know, uh, yesterday we saw him sort of uh, giving a speech at Victory Day, the sort of it's the main event of the Russian calendar when sort of Russia commemorates its victory over Nazi Germany in 1945. You know, he talked at length, sort of in very much a way, a very pointed way, justifying the war and sort of signaling, I think, very clearly that there's no sort of uh, room for him to back down or even perhaps to sort of soften his objectives in Ukraine right now. I'm noticing a report that Belarus is moving its uh, forces, special forces, to the border with Ukraine. Uh, does that have any particular significance? Well, you know, it's hard to say. I think, you know, Belarus is sort of a a party to this war, but it's a very subordinate party to Russia. You know, we believe or, you know, it's it's widely sort of thought that sort of uh, the Russians have been trying to force the Belarusian army into taking a more active part of the war. But frankly, you know, uh, the Belarusian army is not a sort of a huge sort of military uh, factor here. You know, I certainly think, given the way the Russian army is performed against the Ukrainians, it seems unlikely that the much weaker and less resourced Belarusian army would make a real dent there. So I wouldn't sort of uh, attribute too much importance to this, I think. There were some strikes in Odessa overnight, um, shopping malls, another civilian kind of targets, and apparently hypersonic missiles were used, which doesn't make a lot of sense to to some of the military analysts out there, because usually they happen so fast, that's what they're supposed to be doing, so they evade you know, your countermeasures. So you would strike a military base with those, not like a civilian target, but they're apparently using them anyway. Yeah, you know, it's 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 hard to sort of uh, fathom what exactly the Russians are doing there. You know, if you want to talk from the perspective of military strategy, maybe they're trying to, you know, uh, keep their options open, you know, try and pin some Ukrainian troops in Odessa, a city that, you know, was a real major sort of uh, target for the Russian forces, but it's really, I think, slipped out of their grasp. I don't think there's any serious chance they'll be threatening that third city of Ukraine 
Black Sea anytime soon. You know, they're almost trying to, I think, remind the Ukrainians that this war is not won. You know, you'll see the Ukrainian side increasingly thinking they can actually, you know, conventionally defeat the Russians on the on the battlefield, which is, you know, an extraordinary sort of turnaround from two months ago. And sort of this, you know, these kind of terror strikes, as it were, they're almost sort of the Russian side reminding the Ukrainians that, you know, they're not, not everything can go their way and that Russia does retain, you know, substantial and very damaging ways of striking back when it needs to. I mean, I know that uh, independent reporting is pretty much shut down in Russia. Maybe it has shut down totally in Russia. But is there any way of knowing to what degree the average Russian is buying Putin's line about how this is really uh, an effort to 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 help the motherland uh, against uh, you know Nazis in Ukraine, which of course is ridiculous. But but is there any way to gauge how the average Russian is buying all this or not buying all this? Well, you know, it's it's difficult, right? You know, um, opinion polling is unreliable in a regime as authoritarian as Russia's. But I think you know, anecdotal impressions would say, you know. The one may, may not uh, enjoy sort of an absolute overwhelming majority of support, but it is fairly widely supported. You've got to remember this is you know a war situation in Russia, uh, you know, and I think in any country, you know, the impulse to sort of stand behind one's country in a crisis in a time of war is pretty strong. So, you know, I wouldn't underestimate the, the extent to which it, it retains support. You've also got to remember that the uh, the monopoly, really, of the state media, of the Kremlin-controlled media, especially the TV in Russia, is incredibly strong. And in many ways, almost resembles a sort of parallel reality, you know, where Ukraine is sort of evil and, 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 and run by Nazis and sort of the West is stoking conflict in Eastern Europe. And so you want to remember that sort of most Russians live in a very different sort of information environment to us in the West. So there are real, real, real difficulties there with uh, sort of uh, trying to fathom, I guess, what the Russians might be thinking. Do you hear anything from people you know that are still there about how the economy is? I mean, Janet Yellen out today saying they're very clearly in a recession. I mean, prices are sky high. Well, yeah, you know, even the uh, the, the economy ministry of Russia prognoses, uh, I think, a 9% contraction in uh, Russian economy uh, in sort of the coming weeks. So, you know, this is a, or in the next year, I should say. So this is a, you know, a really big recession they're going to fall into. I think, you know, in terms of uh, sort of the impacts, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a lagging indicator, right? You know, uh, sanctions kind of have their hit, but they, they have a hit slightly later down the line when sort of supply chains start uh, coming undone. You'll expect to see very, very high inflation, of course, you know, especially high because, you know, all the world's in an inflationary crisis at the moment, and in Russia it would be particularly bad. What you do hear of, I think, is sort of layoffs in sort of certain manufacturing sectors. You know, uh, the French car company Renault pulled out of Russia quite recently, and sort of that, you know, you hear of people who are really suffering from that, you know, families with children who, you know, lose their main income from that. So I think there is a lot of economic pain in Russia. But at the same time, I'm not necessarily sure that sort of converts into people blaming the Kremlin. Uh, they rather blame sort of the West or sort of, you know, inter- external enemies much more than they blame the Kremlin. So, you know, I think sanctions don't necessarily work but in the way people sort of might think they do, even if, you know, the, the initial imposition surely is justified in the circumstance. CBS News reporter Felix Leitz uh, was reporting in Moscow before uh, the war broke out. Fierce fighting continues in the southern and eastern parts of Ukraine, the port city of Odessa coming under a missile attack. Meanwhile, millions of ordinary Ukrainians have had to move west and remain there months later, with their home villages in the east coming under constant shelling and attack by the Russians. Joining us now is one of these internally displaced Ukrainians, Kiev resident Alexander. Alexander, thanks for 
taking the time to talk with us. Uh, where are you right now in Ukraine and, and do you feel safe? Um, hello. Uh, yes, uh, since the very first day of the war, I've moved to the west of the Ukraine and the frequency of the missile attacks is significantly lower than in the east part of Ukraine. So you can call it safer, but they can reach any part of Ukraine with their missiles right now. Right. It's all relative because because they can still get there. What is it like in a, in a terms of a, a daily life or, or daily movements for people? Because you're not the only one that's gone west and we still see people right moving in that direction. Yeah, it's like seven million of people have moved from their houses. Uh, it's like one fifth, like one sixth portion of people in Ukraine. So you see towns and cities overcrowded with people. Right now, it's kind of stabilized because it was the first month, let's say, which was very dynamic in terms of moving people from east to the west and further to the European Union countries. But uh, you will experience a shortage of flats to, to rent. And uh, right now, it is also um, a gasoline crisis because of the hits to the factories. So, um, like, literally every field of life is being under some certain pressure and stress. We mentioned at the very top, you are uh, originally, I guess, from Kyiv, or at least you lived in Kyiv before you made a move to the western portion of the country. What did you actually do for a living in Kyiv? What are you doing now? How has this disrupted your own life? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I have my own agency, which is, uh, which is specified in urban planning. And uh, on the 24th of February, actually, all my projects have stopped. And uh, so, like, we, we have frozen our business for, I don't know, how long. And uh, we moved, like, all westwards. And after a while, we restarted our activity in a non-profit format, actually raising funds from the, our partners from abroad, uh, bringing different experts together working on, on the post-war recovery during the war. What does some of that look like? Where does that money go and, and, and what do you do with it? Uh, it's basically it's analysis. We, we raised from such organizations such as uh, UN structures like UNDP and we also raised it from R&D funds from various universities in the UK and uh, Switzerland. And basically, we look on a short-term, medium-term, and long-term perspective of the recovery, because like first type of recovery is the infrastructure of returning people back. But afterwards, it's about building something really better than that used to be before the war. What's your sense of how things are going? It's hard to say. There are ups and downs. And... Um, I think we're in a long game right now and it won't end up very soon because what we feel now is that Russia is changing their strategy from like certain Blitzkrieg they tried to make it to, to the 9th of May to long and exhausting war where they will gain power out of nowhere, I know. How are you holding up knowing that this looks to be far from over and having that pressure you were talking about earlier every day the stress affecting at least some part or every part of life is linked to the war now yeah sure like my family right now is is in berlin like my wife and my my kid because uh, they preferred to be more safe and i think that 
for that moment it was a good idea so right now we're like kind of separated um i live in a city that i used to live before but the other people they're totally new to these circumstances so it's literally every every part of life being under stress and from one side but from the other side the human is a very interesting being that can get used to anything but uh, this is something very hard to get used to so like um, our horizon of planning is like a few days maximum a week but not more do you see yourself at some point moving out of ukraine uh not possible because of the martial law no i know but but i mean at some point if they were to lift that or modify it would you prefer to stay uh, and bring your family back or would you prefer to then join them yeah i'd rather stay i see my future here alexander there used to live in kiev further to the west now family out of the country uh, in berlin doing what he can to help with the uh, rebuilding efforts when they happen alexander thank you for for speaking to us we wish you the best this is an odyssey original find us and others on the odyssey app apple podcasts google podcasts and stitcher Thank you.